Thank you for tuning in to the Elevate Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Johnson. This is the last episode of season two. And like season one, we are ending this season with a friend of mine from the state of Texas. My friend, Coach Cam Campbell, has been a college football player at the University of Houston. He is a speaker and an author. He's got a book called Alpha Redefined. It's 12 servant leadership traits of legendary leaders. You can find him on Instagram and Twitter at Coach Cam Cares. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. My friend, my man, Coach Cam Campbell. Cam, welcome to the podcast. Uh, excited to connect with you. I've known you for, man, almost going on close to a decade now. Um, early on, you were kind of a mentor to me, just getting in front of kids and, and really tickling that itch to uh, go spread good vibes and teach kids stuff. Um, but jumping in, man, I wanted to talk. Uh, how you feeling thinking about today with, you know, all the things in the country, the the murder of George Floyd and, and so many other, you know, vicious brutalities and um, the movement that that's really been felt worldwide. Um, talk, talked about how you're feeling, man. What are you thinking? So first off, I mean, it's good to see you, right? So, I mean, you know, we, we check in, you know, a couple times a year, but it is good to kind of put a face, right? So it's For like sure. your mug looks the same. That's good. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's a mixed bag. So I feel, I feel grateful that George Floyd is from Houston. Um, and that in the space of everything that's been going on, even with the rioting, which, which broke my heart, that even that was a relatively short window in the country's grieving process. But most importantly, like Houston, I feel like has done a really good job of making all of this centric to George Floyd. Like it hasn't taken on other legs or, or been, you know, detracted from like, the, you know, talking about the Drew Brees stuff, it's been about his memory and, you know, really he, he, he was a martyr, you know? I mean, I think that we wouldn't be at this point, you know, at the time of this recording and having actual conversations about Bill uh, Max is taking Gone with the Wind off of their air because, you know, there are several, I mean, the whole movie itself is, oppressive and you know and relatively inconsiderate and so you know that movie won i think academy awards and grammys and is hailed as like a, a one of the you know, best all-time movies and so the whole right. idea of oh in 2020 now this movie is offensive well, it was offensive when it was made it was every year that we celebrate <laughs> right? so it's right. no more now than it was then but i think the idea of the country's awakening of we need to take a, a look at everything that we do like literally everything and so um you know i thought off of that i was talking to one of my business partners and we're working on a, a contract and you know there's a, a a minority inclusion piece right and and th this is where the systemic piece of what we're going on gets kind of tricky so on one hand you say okay well there's at least an 18 percent consideration for minorities on this project which sounds great but the other side to it is, as a minority, that means I've only, I only have 18% of the job that I can win, typically, because nobody ever goes over their minimum. But even that, I'm now competing with all these people in this small 18% space. 
And so you've got to like really like lowball your pricing just to have a chance to get a piece of that piece. Right. Well, as we're talking, we're going through our paperwork, making sure everything's lined up. And it's like, dude, our, our minority certification um, status says pending. I was like, pending? Like, we did that in 2016, right? So, so we go into the system, and it literally says, like, like application submitted June 2016, June whatever, um, received the next day, status approval pending. And so you, you begin to work back the process of approval, and it, it really, the point I'm making is there are so many systems that are set up in our culture to oppress and shortchange and ultimately dissuade or discourage progress. And so had, had he not had the foresight to go back and check that and make sure we're good to go, we would have never known. We would have eliminated ourselves, right? And so the whole idea, like, why does, obviously it doesn't take four years to approve <laughs> right. a certification. It, it doesn't take 48 hours. You know what I mean? So, right. so it's a thing. Maybe you give it 72 hours for manual, you know, process and quality. But, but the whole idea of here's a, here, here's an opportunity, that, here's a pseudo opportunity that we're going to create in this 18%, but you've got to jump through 37 hoops to get to that 18%. And then you jump through all 37, but yeah, we're still going to leave you at pending. And so it's, well, I don't think the, the pending is malicious or, you know, intentional. I think the whole system of jumping through all these hoops just to get a, a, a bite just yeah. kind of speaks to, you know, the awakening that we have today that we just didn't have as a country, you know, before two weeks ago. That's a, it's a good specific one of many, 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 many things. Right. I mean, just, uh, but, um, I watched the, uh, Netflix is 13, mm-hmm. um, amazing piece of work and just, I mean, just connecting so many things. I mean, it was, it, it was great, but, and, heartbreaking and, and, and a lot of things, but, um, you know, we, you and I met through sports in the work you do with student athletes. You were a, a college football player. You've, you've, you've worked in the NFL with community programming, um, down there in Houston with the Texans, um, moving forward. How, how do you see sports as a role? And, and maybe even more specifically, I'd be curious to, how do you feel about the NFL, um, and their, very delayed understandings. Yeah, so so I think that I think there are two things that heal our country. I mean, I can't, you know, I don't know about other countries, but music and sports heal our country like nothing else. For sure. Right? And so from like from you know jazz pre-1960 into rock and roll integration into hip hop in the early 80s and you know evolving in, into today. You know, I think that music has its space. Um, to heal, but to your point, sports, you know, I think sports is the is, is leader in healing our country. And so I think that the opportunities are huge. I think that the conversation of, you know, how, how comfortable are the masses, you know, white men in control, how comfortable are they in the process of learning, but then in the process of stepping back to evaluate is the second one. And then the third one is working to heal. And so, you know, I mean, the NFL is a good old boys club. I mean, it just, you know, statistically at this point is what it is. And so I think before, you know, the Rooney rule, there was the feeling of, you know, all people of color don't have a shot. We're talking more than just being an athlete, right? We're talking ownership, you know, front office work, GM. And so 
you know, the Rooney Rule put it out there. And again, like, like the example I used earlier, created the, the opportunity for there to be. So even if it's an obligatory interview, we're at least making an effort to interview a minority, which could be, again, a person of color, woman, whatever. But, you know, the concerning part, and, and really I think the toughest part, dude, is, is our culture, our cancel culture in, as a country is so strong that I don't know that we, the movement that we're creating could backfire potentially if we don't allow white man space to step forward, which sometimes means step on the pile of crap, right? So you look at Drew Brees, um, Texas guy, Westlake guy, I mean, is the face, I mean, really probably the face of the Saints as a franchise in their history, right? I mean, I've got a ton of family in New Orleans. You know, there is not a better advocate for, you know, disenfranchised people in the city of New Orleans more than, like, there is nobody else. So for, you know, for him to, again, step forward, but then step in some crap, you know, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to give folks space to step, no matter where they step, right? And so long as it's forward. And so, you know, for him to then recant the the flag thing and, you know, and then to to admonish President Trump, I think is super dope. And I think the first step in healing, but then the other side of it is, you know, are those who are hurt willing willing, willing to forgive and help heal those who are willing to step forward. And so, you know, I, I think to answer your question about the NFL, you know, for years, there was the Kaepernick tied to the flag thing, which, I mean, again, I've got a flag on now. You know what I mean? Just, yeah. just it's not understanding that the liberties that people who fight for us allow us to have, we're all Americans, right? And so I think that, uh, I think that NASCAR taking a very proactive stance in, in banning the Confederate yep. flag, big step. And I think that like most things, you know, pre- predominant leagues are cyclical. And so I think that if the NFL doesn't get this stuff together, that baseball or basketball is going to creep right back in there as the premier league in our culture. In our culture. Good points. Um, kind of also, uh, not just the role of sports, but, uh, also, you know, working often with coaches and youth student athletes, uh, what role do you see, uh, coaches playing in this and maybe even more specifically to white coaches that might not have, they're not going to have the experiences, um, and probably going to be myself, you know, admittedly hard to say when do you understand when do you comprehend it's, it's a continual process um yeah so i had, had a really dope conversation with one of my really close friends his son is a just graduated from high school and he's about to start his college track career and his his college track coach wrote a letter sent it out to the athletes sent it out to the parents and you know the first thing he said is you know, not only does this university but no matter where i go right so we're talking about the transient college coach now so I could be recruited here the next minute you're there yeah. but this is this is where I stand and and his, his message was uh you know a, as a white man I understand that things will never be the same after this George Floyd incident and also understand that I'm committed to learning as much as I can but understand that you know there are literally 400 years of things for me to catch up on so it won't be overnight but just know that you know, it's a continual learning effort for me. Um, and I think that that's all you can really ask for. But then I think 
off of that is you've got to understand as a person learns and gathers and, you know, all things being fair and considered, they still have the right to decide where in the gamut they sit. And I think that, you know, I think the, the actual embracing of a new America today will play such a humongous recruiting tool. So, so not, not the stamp Black Lives Matter and Black Action Social Media, but actual, the authentic, and you can tell when people's energy, but the actual authentic effort to, to re-educate themselves, uh, you know, I think will be a decided factor unlike no other when it comes to recruiting. Um, but, but even, you know, coming down in the, into the amateur ranks. Yeah. Um, to, uh, I know you've shared some, some personal stories with me and, and um, being a college football player at the university of Houston, I think you and I are getting older almost 20 years ago now, <laughs> but uh, I don't, I wouldn't want to line up and get in front of Cam though. Still. Um, was there a moment as a student athlete, where you remember distinctly feeling the racism or the systematic kind of what the NCAA was that? Yeah. You know, I think it's, I think that racism in our culture. So, so first off, to take a step back, I think that what we have to embrace, everybody has to embrace is every institution in our culture was designed. Again, these people are dead now, but they were designed by old white men for the advantages of a white man, yep. right? And so whether it was to the detriment of a person of color, like us being three-fifths of a man, or just in lack of consideration. So maybe while I'm not even intentional, it's not in our consideration. So I don't know that I said I experienced racism, but the oppressive, and I think the NCAA is by force trying to figure out how to resolve themselves. And really, you can make the argument that that was a tipping point a year, year and a half ago, right? Of like, hey, we've got to figure this thing out. Yeah. So I remember very well sitting in my advisor's office and he, he's my mentor. He's a rock star. He's an awesome guy. And we're just kind of hanging out, making small talk. And I remember working on some homework, grabbing a pencil from his desk to do some homework. Uh, he asked like a, a box of nuts on his desk, grabbing some of those, you know, kind of snacking on those. And I called my mom from his phone. And this is always kind of hanging out, getting work done, you know, uh, study hall, whatever. And he finished and he said, do you realize you committed three violations? <laughs> like in my, he's like, you can't use that pencil. You can't use that phone and you can't eat those nuts. And so, you know, so again, is there racism there? No. Is there a systemic embedded disadvantage? Yes. Right. And so from the small piece, and, and I'm not going to play, you know, school of the poor, but for the teammates that I had that I knew literally what they ate at study hall, I mean, at, at, food, at food hall was all they got. The guy who's still hungry, who grabs those nuts. Right. So, you know, that mindset and that, that that's a level of oppression. Right. So, so just yeah. the idea of, you know, I'm taking, I'm using this pencil to advance my education, which is what the NCAA is supposed to be about. But if I use a pen, I, I can't afford a pencil, but if I use this pencil that has the University of Houston on it, that's on your desk, that's a violation. And so just small trip ups like that. And again, I get it. You, you've got a police, you know, where does a pencil end versus a, you know, a car, SMU, you know, with, with the Pony Express, right? But the whole idea of an educational system 
you know, having principles, laws, and practices in place that sequester the advancement of the education, I think, is one of those like small little itty bitty, you know, forces of, of uh, oppression. Yeah. Um, football's full of ad- adversity and uh, life is. Um, I know one of the things as I've heard you speak, uh, as a college athlete, you went through uh, one of those dreaded, dreaded seasons with no wins. Um, <laughs> growing, growing up as a kid, I had a couple of those. Um, but what, uh, you know, going through that, I mean, college athletes pour so much into it. There's, there's hard work and there's so many hours and, and blood, sweat and tears and all those things. Um, what, what drove you to keep competing when you're going through that? So we went 0-11 um, in 2001. If you can, t- can you remember the schedule? Because I've, I've heard you list it, but I know it's, it's, it's a gauntlet. So it was, uh, let me see. So it was Rice, UT, LSU. Uh, that was the year 9-11. So we were supposed to play Georgia at the end of the season. So that okay. one got pushed back. All right. South Florida. Louisville, Southern Miss, um, like uh, like Marquette. Marquette didn't have football, but like we lost to Marquette. We lost to everybody. <laughs> just like uh. not not good. And so, so my, my takeaway from that season was two things. Um, as easy as it gets to point to, I think we had four starting quarterbacks that year. You know. As a coach, you know, like if, if there's one position that's inconsistent, if you're quarterback, you, you're not going to have it. You know what I mean? You, you just right, not. Right. This isn't, this guy got injured. It was like, oh, let's try that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's easy to say, well, quarterback play wasn't consistent or, you know, this guy went to the NFL last year, so there's a big gap, right? And so the first thing was like, can you, can you put more pressure on yourself to improve than anybody else? knowing that everybody in your locker room may not have that mindset and may point at you or your position to say, well, the reason we lost was, you know, our defensive line allowed so-and-so and so-and-so, right? And so the first thing was, can you not only 100% be accountable for your actions and, you know, your performance on the field, your performance in the locker room, classroom, whatever, but can you allow no one else to put more pressure on you than you? Which sometimes means I don't need your extra pressure, bro. Like, I've got it. Like, I'm putting yeah. all the pressure on me. The second thing is, I think uh, the beauty of our sport is it re- it's an orchestra, bro. Like, it really is an orchestra. So if if one person's out of position, breaks technique, breaks assignment, busts the assignment, it's a touchdown. Like, it just is. Mm-hmm. And the same thing on defense, I mean, on offense. And so, um, you know, with that being said, the coaching staff we had that year was – so we had – so. Uh, what's Bob Stoops' brother? I think Dave Stoops, I think is his name. So uh, I think Dave Stoops was our DB coach. Okay. Dave Warner was our quarterback coach. He's the OC now at Michigan State. He's been there forever. Our offensive line coach uh, won a Super Bowl with the Broncos in 20, was that 16? Barone. Was that Clancy yes. Barone? Yeah. Yep, Clancy Barone. Uh, coach Bunkus was our defensive coordinator. He led those tech TCU defenses. All, I mean, so we had like a rock star young but like rock star mega staff yeah and so the whole identity for coaches is like not to own i don't i don't know that coaches or players can individually own what that record is because it really is a gumbo that makes it work 
from yeah. strength and conditioning to, you know, academics, obviously, and ACE to, to food and diet and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that was the second thing. And I've been practicing, you know, the, the art of stoicism for about a year now. Awesome. Marcus Aurelius, you know, talks about yeah. being able to own and detach, right? And so, and so I think that's kind of where that yin and yang comes in. Of I can completely own that I let nobody put more pressure on me than me to improve. But I also own that there's so much of this that I can't control. And like every call it 120, 150 people on the staff, be it coaches, players, whatever, all, we all want the same thing. Like there's no question about that. So, yeah. you know, there is this kind of middle space of owning it, but then not, not allowing it to be fatal. Right. It's, uh, it's good advice. Um, so that, that kept you fighting then. You kind of talked a little bit about what, what you've been into now. Um, what keeps you fighting now, man? Uh, you've you got a baby on the way. I know you're yeah. uh, an entrepreneur. You've got, uh, you got a course out. Um, got a lot of things going on, man. What, 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 do you want, what are you fighting for? What do we got? Man, so I, I think, uh, so I think that at the micro level, at the daily level, it's consistent self-improvement, right? And like, so like loving the version of myself today, but then discarding that one tomorrow to build another one today, right? Yeah. I think as that applies during this COVID season, I think, so back when, back when you and I first met, I was 300 pounds, bro. I was, every, I was rocking three bills and rocking <laughs> with the pride, you know what I mean? So, you know, so fast forward, you begin to work on your body, especially, you know, as an ex-athlete, you get big, you get small. So I was down to like 250, I think 252. Um, COVID hit. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> I know I started right. cooking more at home. I'm like, yeah. Oh, they put it, they put it in and out on the corner. The, the first in and out in Houston, dude, they oh. put it on the corner of my house. It's less than a mile away. Oh, um, man. I tell you, everybody that works there. You know what I mean? And so it's... Uh, <laughs> Only during COVID. And so saying all that to say, it's like understanding that, you know, as I work today in a micro level to regain my body physically, just as a small example, I've got to know that I'm going to commit everything and then put that in the box, put it away and then rebuild that tomorrow. And so like striving for true mastery. I think there's so many organizations that you and I are familiar with yeah. that have kind of abandoned what mastery truly is. And it's just, you know, it's like lifelong learning. And, yeah. and you know, I think ambition plus uh, patience, yeah. right, is I think the closest definition of mastery. I think, too, I think for me, I always, uh, for myself and when I'm like people always, student athletes and, and myself guilty, too, you have goals and it's like, man, get consistent before you get too ambitious. Hmm. Like, like, you know, make sure your consistency is putting your ambitions in check. Um, you know, cause we all got goals, but man, what are you doing daily? Um, and it goes back to like, I think just like you said, like you got to have that balance, be able to forgive yourself and let go of yesterday and be determined and persevered for the next 24. Yeah. And it's tough to do. Right. And so, yeah. um, um, Ryan holiday wrote a, a series of books. The first one that I read was ego is an enemy. Yep. Um, and it's again in, in the space of stoicism and really just trying to, you know, balance what that is and, and, and how that applies to today's athlete is, you know, you and I had, ze there was zero opportunity for us to be seen on TV, 
let grandma watch us on YouTube live or whatever, right? Until we got to college. Right. Grandma can can pull up your, your own private YouTube live page <laughs> and watch <laughs> yeah. right? the time you're like five. And so we're almost like force feeding ego into our athletes. But but we're not there's no space to, the only space where we take the air out is sorry Kija didn't make it. Right. And so there has to be like a release valve if as a culture we're gonna pump you know, all this exposure, attention, um, level of exclusivity, exclusivity, you know, into a kid, we've got to have an in-house weight of humility, which kind of going back to 0 and 11, while I was never overly, like, you know, obnoxious athlete, that was humbling, man. So, mm-hmm. you know, man, I think that at the, at the, at the micro level, at the, at the macro level, it's just, you know, it's that idea of just chiseling away like a block in time and, you know, setting these, you know, quarterly annual goals and then, you know, having the whatever you want to call it to revisit and, you know, yeah. kind of standing in, in the mirror neck and say, okay, well, you know, we got this accomplished, we fell short here and let, let's rebuild. And that, I think that allows you to scaffold, you know, if you're able to have those conversations with yourself. No doubt. Um, speaking of conversations with yourself, um, if you could get in a time machine and go back and see 16 year old cam, uh, 16 year old cam. Uh, what, what, if, if you had a few minutes to whisper some, something in your, your 16 year old self's ear, what advice would you remind yourself of? Oh, oh, oh my gosh. I can't believe you asked me that. <laughs> All right, so 16, okay, so I would, I would tell myself, I'm going to love on myself a little bit first. So uh, my parents are, are awesome. They were, rel- they were relatively liberal parents. And so one of the first things I did when I was able to drive, and they set kind of like your, uh, your curfew, was I always came in 10 minutes early from curfew because I knew that, like, if I came in early, that they'd always say yes. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, like, never even came close to, like, pushing that boundary. And so I'd say, like, keep that mentality, right? So keep every barrier in your life in a position where the answer is always yes. Um, I would also say you need to break yourself so you can learn what hard work is. Mm. And so I'll be honest. I mean, I, you know, like most athletes, got very far on natural ability um, or just even in life. I mean, in business, you know, in my family as a Christian, I think – you know, the sooner you push yourself to failure and you have to realize sometimes other people can't push you. So, so the idea of this coach putting an adversity in front of you or this teacher or whatever it is, like sometimes you have to be willing to, to go into that dark space. And I, I can say at 16, you know, while I didn't, while I was hardworking and willing to work hard, I, I did not know what that, I didn't know the depth of my ability and talent. And so that, that's the second thing. I think the third thing is, um, you know, stay anchored to your faith. Um, and, you know, I think I did a pretty good job doing that. But I think it's one of those things that, you know, you just got to, you know, at 16, sheesh, that, that, is, that, that was, <laughs> that's an age right there. I thought you said 18, 18, okay, you know, yeah, do this. 16, yeah, whew, that's a yeah. tough one. Yeah, I think uh... – yeah, it's good, good, good advice there. Um, so last thing we always like to wrap up with, Kim, it's been great. Uh, you can 
find Cam's information all linked up to the podcast here, but how do you define success? So success to me um, is defined by a progressive step forward. Um, you know, the, the older you are, the more you have to redefine things. I think mm -hmm. most of us spend our 20s convinced that we know everything. We spend hopefully the earlier, most of your 30s realizing that there's so, kind of going back to the beginning of a conversation, there's so much yet to learn. And so I think that um, there's this Tony Robbins quote. He says something like, most people underestimate what they can do in a year. Or most people overestimate what they can do in a year, but they grossly underestimate what they can do in five. And so I think the idea of get better every day, like, like, and, and, you know, embracing, embracing your weaknesses, I think is a sign of success. And, you know, as a creative, you know, I've spent the last three or four years working on my weaknesses in business. And I got to the point last year where I, I mean, like, nobody would believe if I ever said this, but like, I actually love process now. I've never been a process guy. Like, just give me the paintbrush. I'll figure it out. <laughs> but, you know, like you can't scale without, without process and systems. And so, um, you know, that's what I say is like a constant step forward. Even if, it, you know, even if it's not at the same, you know, meter or pace, yeah. it's constant step forward. That's what success is.